Welcome to Forward. Educate yourself on the new world. The podcast of the Forward Banking Chiropractic Alliance with your host, Dr. Bobby Maybe. Real chiropractic talk. No rainbows, no unicorns. Start putting in the work. The biggest names in the industry. The legends, the innovators, the up-and-comers. This is the podcast for progressive DCs. So buckle up. Passion is the feeling you have that you would probably do this for free and you can't believe somebody pays you to do it. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Forward, the podcast of Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance. I'm your host, Dr. Bobby Maybe. This podcast is brought to you by your sponsors, the American Chiropractic Association. The ACA is your hands-on partner. They've raised their standards of membership, insisting on evidence-based care and working hand-in-hand with other healthcare professionals. Visit acatoday.org backslash join to find out more about how joining the ACA can benefit you and your practice. FTCA members can save 25% on their ACA membership dues. Just use the promo code FTCA when signing up. I had the pleasure of hanging out with our next sponsors at Parker Las Vegas 2019. It is Advanced Musculoskeletal Therapies. You can check them out at amttherapies.com or miraclewave.com. Gerhard and Mary Edna are awesome people to hang out with and the uh, the purchase of a Miracle Wave product is no uh, it's no light issue, so you definitely want to have an expert help you along in that process. And there's no better fit than these two folks. Uh, the Shockwave Therapy, brought to you by the Miracle Wave, can accelerate recovery time, uh, provides fast, non-invasive pain relief, increased mobility and function for your patients, and short treatment sessions for you. So check out Advanced Muscular Therapies, home of the Miracle Wave. And like I said, amttherapies.com is a great website to check them out. Also at Parker University's Parker Seminars in Las Vegas 2019 were some of my favorite sponsors, Pain Zone. Um, Pain Zone has a new product. It's a cream. Uh, as, you know, as you may know before, they had a lighter uh, liquid roll-on, but now they have a light cream for everyday use. It's uh, nearly odorless and it's long-lasting, and you can get free samples of this uh, new product at ipainzone.com. Our next sponsor did it all at Parker Seminars, and it is Parker Seminars. They were our, one of our sponsors, and we had a great time. FTCA members and beyond at Parker Seminars. Uh, it was a wonderful event and we already can't wait for 2020 and what it's going to bring to Parker Las Vegas. So stay tuned for that. And last but not least, our guest for today is Dr. Josh Satterley. Dr. Josh Satterley owns Clinic Gym Hybrid Solutions. You can check out the website for Clinic Gym Hybrid Solutions at clinicgymhybrid.com. Uh, Dr. Josh has been on a guest on my show multiple times before. He also has his own podcast that is excellent, Clinic Gym Radio, uh, which you should absolutely check out. Uh, And I just love having Josh on the show because he's entertaining and he's brilliant and uh, he's definitely got some interesting things to say. Uh, One more thing that I want to mention before I start this interview with Josh is that he is holding Clinic Gym Hybrid super conference in Austin, Texas. It's coming up pretty quick. It's April 13th and 14th, 2019. Uh, It's the number one event for chiropractors who want to add a gym to their practice. 
And if you haven't really considered adding a gym to your practice, uh, listening to, to Dr. Josh's clinic, Jim hybrid radio and, uh, and talking to him, checking out his website and listening to the things he has to say, uh, it might influence you to take a new step in your professional career. Uh, and you can check out everything about the super conference, uh, on his website, which I mentioned before, but we will mention one more time, clinicgymhybrid.com. And so please enjoy this interview with Dr. Josh Satterley. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Forward, the podcast of the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance. I am your host. The state of Oregon allows me to call myself a doctor, Dr. Bobby Maybe, uh, and I am with another doctor who in his state is allowed to call himself doctor, and that is Dr. Josh Satterley. I'll get into that in a second, Josh. Um, we... We are here. I'm going to be goofy today, dude, because uh, we have five kids in the house, and for some reason last night, all five of them decided they didn't want to sleep at all, and the dog, and the cat, and I don't even know if it's a full moon or what, but uh, I'm running on low fumes, so I can say some funny stuff. All right. Well, I'll support you in your humor any yeah, way I can. You just, yeah, you just do some thumbs up and egg me on. Yeah. Uh, let's do this. And if you don't know, I've had Josh on the podcast a couple times. You should definitely go and listen to those as well. We don't script our podcast because we are homies, so we just kind of let it fly as we see fit, uh, and I think it makes for a really fun podcast that way, and, and Josh is brilliant, and he's very, very conversational. I think so, it would be offensive to your audience if we didn't give them the pure, street-level, organic version of our thoughts. If we, I, we run well, them through legal department and marketing and make sure that we're on message, like, it just, it loses the, the, the zeal. You know? We do have, yeah, we have sponsors now and, and that changes everything. It's like when Nirvana had the Bleach album and it, they, could, they could sing about whatever they wanted. Right. And they got some corporate sponsors and they had to pop it up a little bit. Mm -hmm. we, can't, uh, we can't talk like we just did before we pushed record. Well, hold on real quick. I'm rubbing some pain zone on my knee because it's sore <laughs> and it's working well. What were you saying about sponsors? Um, By the way, are um, you going to Parker this year? I am going to Parker Seminars in Las Vegas this year, yes. That's funny because I'm in Las Vegas right now and I just saw where the Parker Seminar will be, Paris Hotel. And it's, uh, you know, what were the dates again of that? It is February 22 to 20, somewhere around there. I, yeah. I do know that we will have an ad running on this podcast that will tell you exactly what it is. Huh. And time is running out to get your tickets. That's right. You <laughs> got to get those tickets now. So go to, uh, is there a website or something? Yes, uh, Parker, Las Vegas. Just put that in Google. It'll pop up for sure for you. Awesome. The, the bigger sponsor we have to mind our P's and Q's with is a, is a big one, and that's the American Chiropractic Association. Are you speaking about the ACA? Yes. The I ACA, love the ACA. Yeah, they have great events like uh, the National Chiropractic Leadership Conference, which is coming up in just like two weeks. And uh, if you don't get there soon, you're going to miss out on a great event. They just released their lobbying uh, packet for all the attendees to go through and study before they get out on the hill talking to their representatives. Um, but if you're not going to that one, of course, you can come to 2020 where they're going to have uh, February, February 2020 is going to be the next NCLC. So you got more than a year to plan. So let me get this straight. You could go to Parker Seminars in Vegas in what, about two weeks. Uh -huh. Run around, look at all the best speakers, including myself, uh, within the chiropractic profession, uh, see all the vendors. You'd obviously be sore from that. So pain zone would get you out of pain. 
Right. And then you could train the next year to go to NCLC in February of 2020 to, uh, and with the help of pain zone and probably a good local chiropractor, you'd be really dialed in to take the hill by, by storm, right? Yeah. And if you do uh, incur a, a ligamentous injury, there is uh, shockwave therapy from advanced musculoskeletal therapies, home of the shockwave. Fantastic. You know, and, and you should look into some shockwave therapy as well. Yeah. Man, you really got dialed in. By the time all that happens, I mean, by February 2020, you or I or both could lose our license. So this may all be uh, falling on the ears of the rest of the population here so they can actually take action and do it. I'm, I'm, I'm here to serve them. It's not really about me. Yeah. Um, but no one's, I'm not losing my license. You have to pry it out of my cold, dead hands. <laughs> I, am a, I am a paragon of ethical, uh, ethical uh, foundation. I, I drive myself on ethics. And well, so, the yeah. only limitation with our current setup in society, my friend, is you don't get to decide what is malpractice. That is decided by the market. And usually it has nothing to do with the care you deliver, but rather if you are nice in delivering it. It's true. You know, that's, yeah. a, that's a good point for the young DCs that are out there or the students that don't understand. Uh, you think there's these rules that are in place. Um, for what is what is right and what is wrong let's just say in the world in general not just when it comes to malpractice considerations but there isn't a right or wrong so we pride ourselves on being evidence-based and evidence-based practitioners but that's not entirely how the world is run and when it comes to the malpractice world right um you know you could be doing everything right in the world but the other side could just uh you know they put they put the the appeal to emotion up there on the stand and you're going to lose. The, yeah. I have a friend is, as an yeah. attorney and he said, if, if he defends a lot of doctors in malpractice suits, he said, if doctors were just nicer to the people that are suing them, I would lose my job. There wouldn't be enough work. I think most of those malpractice suits come out of some sort of upset. The patient is upset about a financial thing. And, and I don't have that research in front of me or memorized, but from what I seem to understand is like, say, say you did, uh, what's like a common there are like adverse effects to, to the manipulation of the spine are pretty rare, but right. there are some that are possible. And of course you go over them in consent discussions with patients. Like one possible risk would be fracturing a rib, right? Sure. But if you were uh, uh, supremely nice, you provided great service, you were a caring individual and a caring doctor and you did your best and you, uh, you just happened to have this adverse effect of cracking a rib, uh, causing a rib fracture in a patient, they, um, you know, might not, it might not be a malpractice thing, but if you're a, uh, what's that French word? If you're a dick, like uh-huh. you're done, <laughs> they're going to, they're going to take you like, screw that guy, you know? My second year in practice, I adjusted a, a older fellow um, and I heard a large pop occur from the angle of the uh, rib and rather than the, the joint. And uh, he was sore for two weeks and I just called him every other day and checked in. Yeah. And uh, nothing ever came of it. And he was a patient for life, actually. So he kept coming in. So I think you're right on with that example. Uh, I had a, uh, one of my, one of the first doctors that was a mentor to me, his name was Rich, but it was spelled R-I-C, his, his birth name was R-I-C-H, but he changed his birth name to R-I-T-C-H. And I said, why'd you do that? 
just for the simple idea that I did not want people to think I had a lot of money because my name was rich. (laughs) Awesome. Like you thought it out to a whole different level, my friend, a whole different level. Um, that you know, be watching Richie rich as a kid and goes, man, I gotta do something different. (laughs) It's, um, you know, you you can't, the, the thing about this world, the world of service in general. So it doesn't even matter if we were, uh, chiropractors or if we owned a restaurant or, Uh, dry cleaning or um, any other sort of service based thing is you, you don't get to pick what comes in your door. I think you can mold it very well with some craft marketing where you you can niche yourself into a select market where Mm -hmm. you have a little more control of what might show up as far as uh, patient type, but you don't know what is going to walk through the door. You don't know if it's going to be one of these very rare, serious illnesses or diseases that need an immediate referral you don't know if it's going to be somebody who is off their rocker uh, or, or uh, pessimistic or right. skeptic or just a, not a nice person. You don't know what's coming through. So you have to be very ready in those initial encounters for whatever might come through the door. Yep. And I, I've had some interesting ones and, and they lead to very interesting humanistic conversations. It's like, Oh my God. If there's one superpower I wish I had, uh, better grasped as a youth and taken it into even my professional and married life, it would be communication. You know, I mean, we look at, I know the, what is it? The three-legged stool of clinical success. And, um, and one of those is patient communication, if I remember right, but it's certainly, we teach the SFMA, it's like, you got to have great, great treatment skills, incredible diagnostic skills, and great patient communication but for a successful marriage, I think you need great communication skills. And for, uh, to avoid legal issues, I think communication skills are fantastic. It's amazing what that will do for you in a professional career. It's huge. And, and you know, the, the vast majority of communication happens non-verbally. So uh, it took me a long time to learn that what people say isn't actually what's going on. <laughs> a mind blower. Some people figured that out in their 20s. It took me until probably my mid-30s to realize, oh, people say things, but that's not actually what they mean. And when you're a provider of healthcare, it, you can almost magnify that. So there's a lot of subjectivity and in, in context in a patient relationship. And, and we talk about this all the time about not chasing the pain. Um, and that's why having a standard operating, operating procedure like the SFMA or uh, MDT McKinsey method or some sort of standard operating procedure where what the person says isn't as valid to you in your assessment as what the person can do or what they're showing you because you know there are plenty of people out there right now who are practicing and their day is predicated on how are you doing today Mrs. Jones how are you feeling how are you feeling yesterday let's see if we can get you feeling better tomorrow uh, at some point with some people, they are just of the personality type where they're going to tell you they're doing better, even though they're not. Mm-hmm. I have an example for this that just happened recently. Oh, I was going to yeah. tell you a great story, but go ahead. No, we should share stories here. All right. I had a patient. I have a great story about a pre, uh, one of your podcast guests named Greg Cook. And I'll, I'll share. <laughs> but go ahead. I had a patient and he came in and he was um, uh, a, a mathematical mind, an engineering type of mind, scientific mind. So he wanted evidence. He wanted to see the models. He wanted to understand the structure. He was inquisitive. Uh, a couple other types of therapies had failed him before he had continuing low back pain. We did our assessment, found a couple 
different uh, things that we could work on as far as hip mobility and some stability around the, the, the lower part of that box that we try to form that we might, might or might not call the core, but around pelvic stability, I guess you could call it. And, um, and in his initial examination, I also did some outcome assessment measures and some tools, and those gave me a score. And I don't remember the score specifically, but let's say, for example's sake, on his Oswestry, he scored like a 24. Okay. Gave him a trial of care. We ran through the trial of care. We did some mobilizations. We did some soft tissue work. We did a lot more on the uh, modifying his exercise and his warm-up routine, so modifying, making some lifestyle changes um, and adding some exercises. He was an avid soccer player, but it was like maybe we should do a couple things before we just run out to the soccer field for lunch and just roll the balls out and start kicking. Um, you know, and, and every now and again, uh, so I only saw him for this trial of care maybe four or five times, and, uh, and he, he'd say, you know, I'm kind of sore after we get an adjustment, but you give it a couple hours and it feels better. Okay, well, that's not unusual to be a little bit sore and blah, blah, blah. We go through the stuff. We do the reeval. His Oswestry, his outcome assessment tool, his measurements are zero. So he marks zero on, on the Oswestry. Like, well, that's really darn good. I don't really see a need for us to continue a care plan, but I'd like to follow up with you in a month to make sure that that's stuck. And he was like, he was gung-ho. He's like, I want... I want to keep doing this forever. Like, well, you know, that's, that's also not the best idea. Um, but there's probably some sort of plan that's appropriate for you. Let's see how you do in a month. So right before that month comes up, uh, get an email from him. Um, I'm thinking of going a different direction with my care. O okay. All right. That's, that's fine. Uh, just for, for continuity of care sakes, why are you taking a different direction what's going on here? And he's like, well, it still happens that every time after I get adjusted, I'm, I'm really, really sore. Whoa, 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 Mr. Jones. You never told me really, really sore. You would say kind of sore. And then after a couple hours, you'd be fine. And also we have these outcome assessment tools that went from 24 to zero showing quite a bit of functional improvement. He's like, oh no, I feel great. Whatever. Long story short to all that is you got on paper that this guy got a great response but what you got in reality is someone who feels like they didn't get a great response at all so somewhere along the way the 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 communication was missing on what the goals were or the expectations or the communication was missing on my end of what I could actually deliver to the person who might have been looking for complete and absolute resolution of all pain forever into the end of the time so he could play soccer every single day as a 50 year old um but, but those are the things you'll see a lot of times. And if you don't have a longitudinal perspective on this, like you don't follow up or you don't ask that hard question at the end, you do what a lot of doctors do, not just chiropractors, but doctors in general. And then it's like, oh, well, they left, so they must be doing great. Right. Yeah. As a, as a, a mentor once told me, uh, I, was a, I was asking him something. I'm like, man, you know, I don't think, do you really think uh, epidurals work? They never seem to work. And, uh, and he turned to me as an orthopedic um, sports medicine specialist. So not non-surgeon. He wasn't a surgeon, but he was a orthopedic specialist. And uh, he looks at me and he goes, remember for a second that your successes don't come walking into my office. Only your failures do. Yeah. I was like, huh. So I'm just seeing the people with the epidurals that didn't work. Right. Not the ones that actually succeeded. 
but it uh it certainly illustrated the world for, to me and i was like thinking so have my failures walked in here is that what you're trying to say <laughs> you know then i start doubting myself but well, we we do that about medicine as well. I mean, how many common comments do you see chiropractors make that like medicine doesn't work? And I know yeah. because they all end up in my office. It's like, well, it's a big world out there. Mm-hmm. Like you, you, if you take like a jelly bean for each human being on the planet, and you've got like seven billion jelly beans, and it's like, how many of those people are exposed to chiropractic? Mm-hmm. I mean, you're gonna fit like the jelly. Those jelly beans are gonna fit into a very small container. Right. 10% if you're lucky spread over what? And it's not 10%. It's like, uh, what? Five or 6% in America. Who knows what it is everywhere else. So a very small subset of the world engages. I don't know what the top, the take the, uh, what is it called? Uptake rate is in Sri Lanka, but I think it's lower than 6%. (laughs) You know, so a lot of people aren't even exposed to it. And then, but how many people are exposed to medicine? it's just sometimes we make arguments based on our viewpoints and not a larger picture of what's going on in the entire world. It's not, it's not a macro view and, and that's fine. Some people have the personalities uh, to, to make micro, uh, micro observations, uh, observations. And some people are macro. I'm probably more of a macro person. Yeah. And those micro people have powers that I don't, but we can also be short-sighted and, and, a guy like me who's macro i can miss the micro things like small communication things like yeah the one i just shared yeah. that can be can corrected I, though but like all those communications could be corrected with authenticity like because i left the door open for the individual and we talked a little bit more he came back later with an email it was like i really appreciate your honesty and your questions and he says i don't really don't know i don't know where i'm going to continue care I just know that what we are doing isn't working the way I want it to. And I want to explore other things. He said, I might be back. Mm-hmm. You know, if I was a, a jerk about it, I would never see the guy again. What he might go out and do is travel the world. As we know from um, Don Murphy's clinical reasoning and spine pain, the forward by Dr. Scott Haldeman states that back pain is like a supermarket experience. These patients go everywhere and they try everything because there's no standard, definite, specific um, uh, source of leadership in the back pain epidemic. So people try everything. They'll try PT, they'll try chiro, they'll try acupuncture, Tai Chi, massage, you know, and then we all argue about what's the best approach. This fellow might try it all and then realize, you know what, the best results were there and I should probably continue. Yeah. That, that's an interesting experience I've had as a clinician. Like, you know, I think chiropractic and, and certainly incorporating the tools that I have, I think get great results, but, um, but I'm too close to that. I'm too much in the weeds. An interesting, yeah. you know, experience I had was I refer a lot of people to acupuncture and I don't know what your experience is, but I would have 60, let's say, so 60% of the people that I referred would come back and say, this is actually, it helped a lot. I'm glad you sent me. It was awesome. Right. Yeah. And 20% of them would say totally sucked. Uh, it was horrible. I don't know if that's fear of needles or, or what it was, but they were like, yeah, it, did, it, and then 20% of people would just be like, it didn't do anything. I don't yeah. like I, nothing. And I was like, I wonder what it is about that 20, that 20% specifically of why they don't 
do they not have meridians? Are they, you know, is their sheet <laughs> unbalanced? Um, is their third eye out of focus, but the other 60% do better? Yeah, it's just, it's just weird that if you could find that, like, hey, Bobby will respond very well to, um, you know, hands-on manipulative techniques, and Susie will respond well to acupuncture, and Billy will respond well to strength and conditioning, and Stacy will respond well to yoga, and this other person just needs to watch Richard Pryor uh, for an entire Friday night to laugh. Um, all of those yep. are effective. No, I think, we, and we all do that to some degree in our yeah. practices as we, we get more and more experience as we start finding ways of patient selection and, and, and who we think will respond to which therapy the best. Now, I say we, but I know there's a lot of us that don't. I know a lot of us just sort of cookie cutter. It's well, the it's same, like, uh, same for seen, everybody, you know. You ever seen that great American, um, really, a, I would say film, not just a movie, but a film called Joe Dirt? <laughs> yeah and he goes to the fireworks stand and and he goes let me get this oscar straight. winner right joe dirt yeah let me get straight all you have are snakes and sparklers and the guy's like well yeah and, and joe dirt's like why and he goes in this whole dissertation of all the different available fireworks but in the end the guy says because that's what i liked snakes and sparklers <laughs> and he's like doesn't matter what you like brother it's about the customer that's right yeah, there's. Anyway. We could probably do some sort of hidden hidden philosophies of Joe Dirt, Joe uh, Dirt DC. We should do it, and you do that naturally. I mean, we all do that naturally. If you do, if you are manipulating, if you're adjusting a lot of people, and you and you start to realize like these types of adjustments work better for this. I started doing body shape, so I never really understood with enough deep enough understanding this whole mesomorph, ectomorph. Uh, endomorph sort of morphology i i never studied that and it was always sort of elusive to me that idea right I don't really understand the differences that well i could point them out in the picture and all that but i never understood it enough that i own that topic but what i did know was like on the table someone would be laying down or i'd watch their movements and posture when they're standing be like well that person is more sort of roundy shaped <laughs> this is my brain my my fraggle rock brain they're roundy shaped. They'll tend to respond to this type of adjustment better than if I try to do it right. like the long shaped person. And hmm. like the ectomorph, they seem to respond a lot to sort of the rotational adjustments. It would be the same as uh, when Stu McGill describes different shapes of the vertebral column. You know, there's some that have the limacon spine it's shaped sort of like if you look at it in a cross section it's shaped almost like a lima bean and then there's other people that have ovoid shaped spines and and it's almost like a big oval is the shape of their vertebral column and he's noted through his research that the ovoid shaped ones are tend tend to be more flexible they're more mobile in rotation they tend to be better golfers and gymnasts and all that and then the limacon shaped spines tend to be better at lifting pushing pulling football and all that and if you put one of those limacons into a sport where an ovoid shaped spine would perform better like golf. So you take like Charles Barkley and then you have him golf. Look at what you get, you know, and, and there's also some breakdown um, uh, biomechanically that can happen there to the tissue. Hmm. So I tried to think of it that way. Like, and I, I wouldn't know, I wouldn't be able to put everybody into an MRI machine and be like your spine is shaped like this. So we're going to adjust you like this. You have to make some sort of assumption and well, it's practice. You have to experiment with it. Yeah. First you have to develop a certification around that idea. Yeah, that's well, that's the part I missed the whole time was like, yeah. Yeah. And then actually understand it after that. 
<laughs> yeah, um, Charles Poliquin, who was like the strength sensei in a um, previous, I think he was one of the first ART instructors actually, and uh, and he's a master of moving heavy objects. Unfortunately, he passed away recently, but yeah, he did that whole. He did a whole nutrition and training programs were designed about uh, around. He said a hormonal response, but he did that mostly through profiling where you retained fat. And that was like, as I understood his approach, but it was an interesting thing to your body, your body shape idea, you know? So if somebody has fat here, they need to increase their serotonin. And the way to do that is training XYZ method. Yeah, they're not, it's not evidence-based by any means, because how would you acquire this evidence? I mean, who could design a study based on this stuff? Uh, I guess you could, but that that leads to the point um that i've been re- so uh we're kind of moving all over the place but but i'll come back to it. it'll come back i promise I, I also want to tell my gray cook story too by the way um okay but let's do ahead. it after this i want i'll stop it and i'll say let's do the gray cook story and i know it'll tie us back to everything else well, and then i have a question for you and for the audience really but we'll, you better we'll go. get a pen and write this shit down man all right let's um, do it what I've been noticing lately is that the, the, the skeptics, the people who are very skeptical of alternative, I used air quotes for that, medicine and, and chiropractic and things like that, they've sort of moved the goalpost a bit because the, the word evidence-based has been sort of ruined lately. Right. Yeah. Um, it's like in Vegas here, the term VIP uh, yeah. <laughs> means you've ridden in a taxi. That's about Here's right. a VIP pass to that nightclub. That means you are paying $40 and uh, everybody else standing in line will have a VIP pass. But yeah, here's one. Yeah, 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 totally, totally. Uh, so they've moved it to uh, before anything can be evidence-based, it first has to be science-based. Um, so you have to pass the science-based test before you can pass the evidence-based test. I'm like, all right, that's a fair enough proposition. Well, I can go with that. Uh, this idea of... Uh, changing your manual therapies based on a person's body type, I think would pass the science test. It, mm-hmm. it makes a biomechanical sense. Just like if somebody had a cam and pincer deformities of the hip, probably a whole bunch of hip stretching is not going to do a lot for them. You might want to consider some other things. Yeah, baby, bone to bone. That's the way to make bone them feel to bone, better. You know, yeah. yeah. Um, so, so, that's that leads into the intro of this whole podcast was in in the same conversation where I heard that science uh, science based uh, argument was another person was also saying like uh, they they didn't understand why doctor why chiropractors were allowed to call themselves doctors that you know and, and these skeptics they don't even know what kind of bubble they're living in but they're like only med only medical doctors should be allowed to call themselves doctors this is a Stephen Novella like the head skeptic of planet, what the hell are, what the hell are you smoking? Uh, that was his argument. Only, of course, he's a medical doctor saying only medical doctors should be calling themselves doctors, but he has no biases because he's science. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, uh, well, there's, there's, first of all, doctors is Latin for teacher. So whatever. Yeah. Uh, physician, I can get with the physician argument, like maybe only medical physicians should call themselves medical physicians but even chiropractic physicians don't do that um how about phds um yeah phds can call themselves doctors ed what is it ed d's or you know the yeah 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 terminal it's just latin for teacher and and there's historical perspective to it and um you know there are things in the world you just cannot change yeah even if you think 
that you, that they should be changed and you're ideologically locked into the idea that they should be changed because it makes sense to you, uh, as in uh, Nassim Taleb's um, Anti-Fragile, which is a great book, by the way, if you, if you can get through it, there's like things, you got to understand that there are things that, that no matter what you do will not change. And, and so you're only going to make things worse by putting a lot of energy and trying to change it versus mm-hmm. focusing your energy on the things that you can change. And, right. and that's what I see from the skeptic community. And, and there's some recent research that came out that says the more you, the more that skeptics complain about things like this, uh, the, the least, the less powerful the argument becomes. Oh yeah. So I introduced us as doctor and doctor, and we can go along like, uh, like, um, well, it's, Fletch, you know, it's not just doctor. doctor I mean, doctor. let this guy know, I don't, I don't know who he is or, or how to get a hold of him, but there are many uh, titles or terms for things that change over time. I'll right. give you the case of, you know, it used to be if you wanted to be called a ninja, you had to do a lot of martial arts training. I mean, a lot, a lot of sneaking around, wearing all black. Um, yeah. If I've seen the, the movies, descend from, you know, tile roofs and bust through rice walls. Uh, a lot of star throwing. Star uh, throwing, grapple hook usage. Oh, grapple hooks, yeah. But now, if, say, you kind of over-exaggerate the method of manipulation you take on a patient lying prone and have a fancy hat, you too could be labeled with the term ninja. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it's not, but who are we to judge and say that that's wrong? Do you know that I'm a reverend? No. I am a reverend of a church. Interesting. I'm an ordained minister. But you are the only person I've met in real life that has met the reverend. Now I think Bishop, but Don Magic Wan. I did, yeah. I actually hung out with him. Yeah, which is... <laughs> yeah, no, I'm a reverend uh, online. <laughs> you can just wow. go online and, and get ordained as a minister. So at Forward, people can get married <laughs> under the tutelage of Reverend Bobby Maybe. I've actually legally married, I think, seven or eight couples. Yeah, that was the purpose for it. Um, What's your success rate? So far, 100%. Uh, There are children that have been made out of bonds of love that I created. Well, uh, don't mean to burst your bubble. There's been children (laughs) made outside of bonds of love long before you entered the earth, pal. Yeah, 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 right, right. Yeah. Um, Hmm. But I I sanctified it with a signature on a piece of paper. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think we should have a marriage at a forward of two. I mean, nothing says love like two people that met in chiropractic college and you can sanctify their, uh, their marriage and bless. We can all bless them. Uh, and if we just give them each a gift of $1, they will make the first 1% contribution to their student loans together. <laughs> I'm just saying if everybody at forward gives a dollar, I think that'll cover one payment, right? It, who knows by the time that child is old enough who knows who <laughs> knows um awesome yeah so the, the 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 skeptics they're they're always they've always been fascinated to me and i would consider myself to own a healthy bit of skepticism in yeah, my that, own life but not. that whole science before evidence thing is funny to me in the fact of what the basis of science is i have an assumption i form a hypothesis i prove it right mm-hmm. okay doesn't that you know like pre uh, come before evidence yeah yeah, basically you're saying that before you are evidence-based you have to be uh, (laughs) evidence-free you have to at least pass like the scientific plausibility test so you know if i told you over this 
podcast, I'm going to think really hard and that's going to get rid of your big toe pain. That's probably not going to pass a science test. So there's no way after that that we could ever come up with an evidence base for it. Yeah. Um, so, so, but if I could come up with an, a science, a, a scientific explanation of why it might work, then we should probably look into it to see if there's any evidence that it actually does work. The problem with <clears throat> the, the evidence-based, or sorry, the, uh, the, the skeptic crowd is that they've, they've already come up with the assumption. It doesn't matter what you show them anyways. And, and, and you got to understand the different depths of evidence that you can go through. And then the different politics and history behind all those things. I mean, I was reading a list of in the, in like 1901, a list of all the different types of practitioners there were in America around 1901 and physicians had the worst reputation of them all medical doctors, but there were chiropractors, there were the herbal herbalists, there were naturopaths, there were uh, uh, Christian science Adventists there. um, There were a bunch of different name techniques, uh, there was the naparopathy folks that are still licensed. There's still a few licensed naparopaths in Illinois, by the way. I think the list was about 50. All those people were vying for a certain piece of this pie of American healthcare osteopaths as well. Um, uh, and obviously with organization and this timely thing where the scientific method was really taking hold in Germany and in Eastern um, Eastern Europe at the time, all those people were also immigrating to America at that time, which was around the mid, uh, early 19, 1900s. So 1920, 1910, 1930, around then. So with the advent of all these people and their culture and their culture of scientific reasoning came to America, it shifted all these ideas and the people who could keep up could keep up. So a lot of these things like Christian science, medicine, Adventism, to Adventism, the name techniques, a lot of the natural cures and herbal remedy type folks, they all fell by the wayside. But what tended to stay, uh, medicine, um, osteopaths as they joined medicine along the way, and chiropractic did stay. Did it stay because of an evidence base? No, but it stayed because of a results base. And uh, so any, you know, and if we say, well, there's, a track record of, of results over a hundred years that is, is considerable. It's not an evidence base. It's not a meta analysis of results, but it, it's a results base. People are pleased. Mm-hmm. You can't even get the credit for that. And then they're like, eh, well, that's just placebo. <laughs> no, it's not. There is a scientific basis for why I think there is contextual stuff. There's placebo involved, no doubt, but there's also a scientific uh, physiological basis for why, and we're just talking about the adjustment here specifically would work on people. Mm-hmm. So then we can experiment on it and we see some good experimentation and some good results for low back pain and some neck pain stuff. The problem is, you know, the, you can only study low back pain in certain ways. It depends on the question you ask. If you're just talking about low back pain, there's no such thing as non-specific low back pain. There's tons of different types. So you got to break down what different type you're trying to affect it, it's, it would be, here's my take on it to, to end this silly part of the whole thing. If these, if these physicians really cared about what's best for people, the skeptic physicians or the skeptic, a lot of them aren't even physicians. A lot of them people are like uh, janitors that are just skeptics and they know more about medicine than a chiropractor ever could. Um, 
if they really, if they were really doing this because they cared about people and public safety and what's best for people, which is what they, they try to say they're doing, they would work with the chiropractic community and the physical therapy community to supplement the research and get down to the best answers they possibly could to do what's best for people. They're not doing that. They're coming from a position of righteousness and dogmatic belief, and they just want to destroy some competition they don't like. That's all I got. So now, Gray Cook. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, man, I was like worried, like, man, Bobby got all serious. When are we going to go have hot wings and, you know, you know, like. I've been, um, I'm starting to get a cycle right there. Like practice is practice, but then there's uh, preparing for forward 2019 at Logan University, September 20th through the 22nd. There's preparing for that, which takes quite a bit of work. And then in the downtime, um, I, I'm like a comedian with a new a new act each year. I've been read, I constantly read, so I've got a new thought process each time I come around. Mm. So um, I'm in my thinking mode right now. I'm in my my beat laboratory trying to come up with some new beats. Yeah, you're you're Timbaland when he met Missy Elliott, uh, and they used to mix on his bed because he had a little Sony uh, keyboard, you know, or Casio keyboard where he got the first beats for Missy. That's it, man. Yeah. So, so Gray I'm, Cook story, just funny. Um, so I don't know how many people listening know Gray Cook or know of him, but dude's a big thinker, right? Like, um, yeah, and 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 kind of I don't know how to say it. Like, has adapted a lot of. Um, kind of beliefs that might be fringe and, and can look at a fringe thing and say like, you know, 91% of that is, is fringy, but 9% of that is actually right on and, and he'll pull that in. Right. And like, so he, he can connect dots that you don't even think are possible and, and does it very intelligently. Right. I mean, you've seen him do this. Yeah. 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 So on the fly, uh, I've seen him do it on the fly. Right. So, I'm at a large conference and he's there and I'm, I'm talking to a colleague and the, <laughs> the colleague, I, um, I'm texting back and forth. I'm up on the hotel room, ready to go down to the floor. And, and he texts me, dude, it was crazy. Was just behind Greg cook in line at Starbucks. And I said, you know, Oh really? Question mark. Like, uh, what, what do you talk about? And he said, it was insane. He was talking about facial lines and their effect on your mobility. Like, you know, and I'm, so I'm going like, are there certain, are there certain like wrinkles in your face? You know, they talk about like when they're reading your palm, like, oh, this line means you'll live long and all this. Uh I'm going, did Gray find some like deep, you know, some crazy dude up on a hill in the Himalayas and, and hike up there and meet this guy that tells you like, oh, if you have this line in your face or if you have a wrinkle here, that means that you're doing blah, blah, blah. And I'm really trying to think about this. And so I, I walked down to the, the, the conference and I see gray, but he swarmed with people. Cause I really want to ask him about this. Right. Cause I, I know gray and uh, instructor and whatnot. And, and uh, so I really want to ask him about this cause this is could change the way I treat people. And so I see the dude that texted me and I said, dude, he connected facial lines and mobility. And the guy goes, Oh no, no, no. Uh, I said fascial, but it auto corrected to facial. <laughs> <laughs> and so you know, we're talking about words mean something. Uh, you got to be careful that it didn't get autocorrected because, you know, I'm he, knowing Gray, I'm thinking he did connect facial lines to your amount of mobility, but <laughs> it was just a spelling misinterpretation by Siri. 
and if not he would just go and look, he, would, he would look into it anyways <laughs> yeah so uh, you just got to be careful hey um i don't know how long can you go today in this interview uh we probably have another half hour oh shoot, I, we're good. I, it, it, you know whenever we feel like we're done we definitely have to talk about your uh you being scheduled to speak at parker las vegas in yeah, about the five, or, five or six weeks february 22nd yeah who knows when people are going to listen to this though some people pick these up an hour uh, a year later yeah well hey if you're picking this up after the the uh after february 24th you have missed the 2019 boat. yeah don't don't that's right yeah if it's after February 24th, 2000, I would personally email uh, Bill Morgan and say, I, I want to make sure I don't miss 2020. What do I need to do? <laughs> right? Well, that would be the worst that someone actually takes us as influential people and they're sitting around in Vegas uh, 2021 after they heard the podcast mm-hmm. outside the Paris Hotel waiting to see you speak, waiting to see uh, Stu McGill speak. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's a, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought up Stu because, uh, you know, obviously it's an honor to speak at Parker. Um, I'm putting together what I think is a pretty interesting talk. And, uh, but man, to be slated against uh, Stu McGill is like, you know, it's like, like you're in Mr. Olympia and you're like in the, uh, Hey, now the 14 year old boys who haven't yet uh, had a surge of testosterone are over here on this stage. Uh, and, and then the Mr. Olympias are up on the other stage. And I'm like, well, uh, you know. Yeah, it's kind of like a Lollapalooza thing. There's like the main stage with the Smashing Pumpkins and you're over yeah. there with... Uh, yeah, in some cover band for uh, yeah. Blur or something. <laughs> uh, a blur cover band, yeah. Two <laughs> remaining people in Devo. <laughs> yes. Get your cool hat. Or on the janitorial basement stage C. <laughs> exactly. It's not like that. Annex. Yeah, it's, it's not like that. Parker's got four tracks, so the, so the tracks... Uh, they run concurrently and it just so happens on the day that Stu McGill's doing like a whole day, Josh is closing out the show. He is like the main event of one of the tracks. Mm-hmm. I think if you went with a friend, so if you're there with a buddy or you bring a spouse or whatnot, you go see Josh's and you assign your buddy, use the buddy system to watch the end of Stu's presentation and then mm-hmm. take notes. Stu's like 180 anyways. By the end, he's going to be, he's already said it all anyways, and, and he's going to be kind of tired. So yeah, you I mean, get over to Josh's thing. At 3 o'clock on Saturday, he's just doing Q&A. That's why you should head over to mine and get some new info about a new way to practice. Yeah, and, and break it down for me. What's this new way? Uh, You're leading into my next sale. question. So, What do you know about essential oils? <laughs> hmm? There is no peer review evidence about the effectiveness of essential oils they're nonsense Ah, you said essential i'll take that to mean like essential proteins thank you hey look skeptics essential oils probably do not have any medical benefit whatsoever but some people just like to have them in their little pot or whatever some lavender in the air and it makes them feel good who gives a flying monkey's poo hey i will tell you this my man I got this little uh, crazy fungal infection uh, on, an, on one of my nails over Christmas or on uh, next to my nail. And I looked on Dr. Google what works for fungal infections. And it said melaleuca, which is like the essential oil of the tea tree. And uh, or this, you know, cortisone, it's not cortisone, but it's like some antifungal stuff you get at the store. Uh, we we're driving back from uh, the day after Christmas. It's 6 p.m. My wife had the tea tree stuff uh, in her purse and uh, 
the CVS pharmacy was closed. So I started using it. It worked. And I thought, well, you know, here I am using uh, essential oils to treat something and I'm happy with the results. So I guess that's yeah, it's, an it's efficacy a world, right? without evidence. Yeah, yeah no they evidence. Work. Correlation may not equal causation in that manner. But yep. to you, does that really matter? Because you don't have the thing no. on your finger anymore. No, I went at that moment it started working. So I did what anybody in the situation would do. I called 20 of my friends and invited them over to the house for a little party <laughs> and wanted to talk to them about essential oils and, and offer them an opportunity in my air quotes. <laughs> All right. I didn't really do that part of it, but it does yeah, work. That's not what you're talking about at Parker seminar. Someone else might though. <laughs> yeah. There is hey, a lot. Uh, let me offer you an opportunity. What do you want to Sorry, talk about? Tupperware or essential oils? Which one? Well, we, let, let me be honest about Parker Seminars. It's a long-standing tradition. It's been going on a long time. Doctors have been going for years. Some doctors have been going every single year. It, it's a way for some people to bring their staff. Uh, there's plenty for the staff to learn. They get empowered. That's all positive stuff. There's been a certain type of chiropractic at times that has been promulgated at Parker Seminars, and that hasn't always been the evidence-based well, here's my experience back in the day. So I went to Parker Seminars 2010, so it's not that far back in the day. Uh, Fabrizio Mancini, who's now a celebrity, so we can talk about him freely as a celebrity and not as a person, uh, came out and was dancing, and everyone was up cheering and dancing, and I didn't know the guy next to me. He's like, do you know he used to be an underwear model? I'm like, no, I did not. Yeah, yeah, he's a good dancer, huh? I'm like, yeah, this is great. This is a party. Um, and then what would happen? It's like when they dance on the Ellen show. Yeah, and you would get in these tracks. Like I said, the tracks thing still stands, and I think that's a great way to, to, to do something like a Parker Seminars of certain tracks, like a business track, a practice track, a track for the CAs and all that, is they would have these really compelling titles, like uh, how to eliminate shoulder pain with one easy step. And you'd be like, oh, I got to go see that. I mean, shoulders, I want to know how to eliminate shoulder pain in one easy step. And then the guy would come up and he'd be like, I'm so-and-so and and I run such and such consulting or such and such product. And today we're going to talk about uh, how to eliminate shoulder pain in one easy step. Uh, But I can't give you all that here today. So you're going to have to visit me in my booth and find out more about the product or the coaching or whatever. And then let me, let me go on for about an hour about complete nonsense and not get into anything specifically at all. And then you would be like, well, I didn't really learn anything from that. And then the next speaker, speaker would come up. Let's uh, talk about how to have a million dollar practice with no marketing. And talk to me. I'm in. What, what do I need to know? I'd be like, I'm, I'm going to, I'm here to tell you about million dollar practice with no marketing. Um, my booth is out in the front. Now I can't get to everything today. What? <laughs> but I'm going to give you a little bit, but you got to really visit me at my booth. And then he would do his thing. Well, I didn't really learn anything. Huh? Next guy, <laughs> next guy, Medicare, all the answers you'd ever need to know about how to milk Medicare for all it's worth. <laughs> Wait, no, that was California that did that for work. Oh man. That wasn't Parker. Um, <clears throat> so on and so forth. I can't give you all the information today. You got to give, get me at my booth. And then I started to realize is this like a thing where they're just trying to get you to go to their booth? Is that what's going on here? Uh, that has changed. So I want to, I want to say I, I, I personally visited Parker seminars on the invitation of Dr. Morgan himself last year. I visited it with my own healthy form of skepticism 
and said, wow, there is actually some really good information going on here. Now, once again, this is chiropractic. It's not going to be all the best info, all your best information. Um, you know, like it's, uh, there's gotta be some, uh, what do they have at the pizza buffet? The cinnamon twist. You got to have some cinnamon twists with your salad. If you're going to a buffet like Parker seminars, you know what? Don't eat the cinnamon twist and just eat the salad and you'll be just fine. And you, my friend, your talk is going to be salad. And what are you talking about? <laughs> that was that pause. There was my nonverbal communication to tie in our earlier point. <laughs> Where are you? Uh, I think it's transforming your patient care and your business revenue. Cool. Yeah. That should get a lot of people's attention. Right. What if I don't want to transform my patient care? Go because, to Stu McGill. You know, in, in 1924, so-and-so said we should do it this way and that's the way it must be done. Well, I would say that many things in your life have progressed uh, with the cell phone you're holding in your hand. Go stream a Netflix show and realize that progress is awesome. Uh, well, yeah, you don't have a comeback to that yeah, smart guy, do you? Got me on that one. You got me. Yeah. <laughs> go, go take down your, uh, your framed picture of uh, one of the Palmers and move on with your life. It's okay. I am... Um... I'll, I'll, I'll read about the Palmers. No, I'll read, I'll read Keating's stuff about the Palmers. <laughs> uh, I think th uh, we as chiropractors have been done a disservice in the, in the historical aspect of our profession and that it is Palmer centric. And then a lot of that history has just been sort of rewritten to give uh, BJ Palmer a, a very fair light. And we uh -huh. haven't treated him as a human. And um, as, as humans go, there are, positives and negatives and there are uh, motivations and objectives and if you try to be uh, objective when you read the history of Dee Dee Palmer and BJ Palmer they're actually obviously very impressive people and you can see what they were trying to do where they went wrong where they went right and you can come out with an overwhelming at least somewhat maybe not an overwhelming but at least some modicum of respect for what they did and you should to think uh, as somebody who's done such something so low level as creating a Facebook group <laughs> that has uh -huh. a couple thousand followers and how hard it is just to get a group of people together who can come together on one thing. Uh, those two individuals created a whole profession that either despite them or because of them still exists far beyond what you can imagine. And I could see that in BJ Palmer in sort of like almost an empathy sort of way. I can see that when it was really easy when it was like the Palmer school and it was Palmer, 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 and it was DD and BJ and they owned the whole thing and they were running the show and everything that was chiropractic went through Palmer and then it became a thing. Other people had schools, other people had ideas and ways that they wanted to incorporate those ideas into the profession and what to do and where are we going to go in the future. And you could see it just sort of spin away from him. And I don't think he had the grace to say, I created something and I should be happy with that. And it's now something bigger than me myself. And I should, whatever the hell you need to do, walk away gracefully, become the old dad or the old son, <clears throat> let the new bucks run the show. He, he, he was really trying to control the whole thing. So we see that uh, it, it becomes evidentiary when you try to have a conversation with uh, your chiropractic brothers and sisters that may be on the other side of the fence or whatnot that, um, if you can't, if you are one of the one, there's like three types. There's like the type that think that DD and BJ were complete quacks 
And then there's the type that are like, well, you know, they did good things, bad things, whatever. And then they're the type that think that you should have a picture of them on your wall and there should be an altar underneath it. And their word is absolute bond of the whole entire way that we should direct our entire lives and profession. Um, how could well, you... We were talking about evidence earlier. And, you know, one of the things with a research study, you always have to look at is the methods and to give yourself some context for how they got the information, right? Yeah. And if you look at the context of, you know, I, I mean, obviously I'm not a super straight Cairo, but um, anybody that's a pioneer, uh, you, what's the saying? You can always tell the pioneers because they have arrows sticking in their backs. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, yours are, you have some arrows sticking in your back. But if we go back to the dawn of chiropractic and you have this person that starts this quote unquote new age treatment, you know, this guy was getting attacked, right? Like yeah. left and right. Yeah. But if you put some context on that, the fact that he was willing to kind of push forward in the face of what I'm going to guess is massive adversity at the time. Right. I mean, we yeah. get attacked now as a profession. Can you imagine the attacks back then and not having a way to band together all your homies to say like, let's fight this together. You had to train your own homies. You had to find people and be like, Hey, let me train you up as a chiropractor and, and fight with me. He built a army out of like, you know, ragtag group of guerrilla warriors, man. And, so there is probably a reason within that context of why people fight for him to be remembered and him to be held in high regard. And that sometimes that may go out of line, but I mean, people go, Oh, it's religious. Yeah. Because the whole point of like Christianity is this dude, AKA Jesus Christ was willing to lay down his life, AKA jump in front of a bullet for me. If that was necessary, die on the cross, if that was necessary. And so we love people like that throughout history but um, I'm not saying to put up a picture of, of, of BJ. I'm just saying there's probably some credit due to the fact that he was a pioneer pushing hard when it wasn't easy. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. We, you know, that we do that all the time. You know, the, the chiropractors that went to jail for practicing medicine without a license, they're, they're the messiahs, right? They're the, 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 the ones that made the big sacrifice and <clears throat> that, 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 what I'm trying to come to grips with nowadays is how do I honor that, which should be honored. Uh -huh. And also how, how do I craft a message that says that's great. However, we are here now, like your cell yeah. phone reference, we need to move into the modern age and the, the slogan or the saying that I've come up with it because what one of the last things that BJ Palmer published was his quote about the sacred trust. You know, uh, we, we've created this sacred trust. Now it's here for you to whatever lose or, or keep, if you will, or something like that, which is a religious connotation to it, right? Sacred uh -huh. trust. And the sacred trust was supposed to be this idea of chiropractic itself or straight chiropractic unsullied and all that. My, my move into the modern age, which has changed from that, that, that era that those dudes lived in was an era of pioneering. It was very important that you got something named after you. It was very important that you were Thomas Edison or Alexander Graham Bell or Tesla. Like something was named after you. That was the, that was the, uh, like having your own uh, reality TV show or something. It was back your legacy, there. right? Yeah, it was your legacy. So it was very important for them to protect that sacred trust because that was their legacy. Nowadays, 
it's different. Our legacy is going to be our reputation with the public and how the world views us and the service or the value we, we can provide to the world. Our legacy is what we can actually do for people because we're in a value-based society and a value-based economy. Mm-hmm. So my saying is that the, the, the public trust is more important or is greater than the sacred trust. We have to put the public trust in front of the sacred trust. And it's not just chiropractors. I see it in all different professions where you, they make decisions based on what's best for their profession rather than what's best for the person that they serve. And, and people bastardize that. They'll call it patient-centered care, and they'll be straight chiropractors, uh, the, the, the non-good straight chiropractors, I guess you call them, the ones that are just ethically challenged, that will say, like, you know, my year – my year-long pay-me-$5,000-up-front treatment plan is individualized and patient-centered for that patient's exact needs. And I'm like, come on, man. But you gave that to everybody, right? <laughs> right. You know, but, but people... That individually designed plan that's exactly the same as I gave the last 100 people is... One thing know. that the dogmatic chiropractors are good at um, doing is like taking taking words that are established and, and starting to move the profession in a progressive manner mm-hmm. and learning how to use them for their own advantage. As, as we see now with evidence-based. Yeah. You will definitely find somebody who thinks that all you have to do is adjust the upper cervical spine and that helps with every problem in the world and connects the body to well, the it, unholy let me, innate. And let me jump in there because I always think it's funny when like uh, the straights do the same to us and they're like, Oh, uh, you don't have a philosophy. And <laughs> um, you you're not a, what did they say? Principled chiropractor. And I, I was recently saying to somebody, I'm the most principled, uh, chiropractor in the room because I believe in a thorough assessment before treatment. That's my yeah, principle. It's is, a philosophy. Yeah. yeah. I'm sorry. Thorough assessment or diagnosis before treatment. Like that is the thing, not just like the same treatment. So if you want to argue principles, yours aren't that strong and you're throwing it back at me that, uh, you know, and it's like, uh, I, I am principled. <laughs> I think, no, I think you nailed it because uh, in the Gray Cook podcast, you'll hear about this stuff too, is um, you could almost say us folks that sort of think the way we do, mm-hmm. our philosophy is based upon how we establish our standard operating procedures. <laughs> our philosophy is, a philosophy is based upon uh, our assessment. Yeah. Uh, and then their philosophy is based on their application of the treatment. Right. So our philosophy is bait is front loaded and then the treatment can change depending on what we see in the standard operating procedure of the assessment, mm-hmm. like the selective functional movement assessment. Theirs is you could throw any assessment at all in front of the treatment and the treatment would still be the same. Right. You know, you could, you could throw an SFMA in front of a, a straighter chiropractor. They're still going to do the same thing. Yeah. And it, it's funny because they judge on the amount of principle, the amount of belief in the system. And I, man, I, I, I'd be hard pressed to say that I'd give in before they give in. Therefore I would be more principled than they would. I, um, one thing that got me thinking, and, and he's not everybody's favorite figure right now, but he's, he's, he's kind of popular right now. And that's, uh, the professor Jordan Peterson. Yeah. Um, I went to see him speak and, and it wasn't a political speech. Well, it kind of got a little political. It wasn't about these issues that get him dragged out in public. It was about philosophy and 
uh, and how we deal with life and changes. It was, it was more of a psychological exploration in this talk. But somebody asked him, <clears throat> they said, Professor Peterson, I am a, uh, a hardcore Democrat. I believe in these sort of things. And every time a Republican speaks, I just cringe and I want, I want to just do something. It's like, how do, how do we get rid of them? Like, how do we get them out of our picture so that our way of life is better? And this, this thought process, um, I, I, when, when these things come up, I sort of always tie them to the chiropractic profession and not politics. And uh, he, he, so I was, I translated to like, okay, so one side or the other in chiropractic, whatever side you're on would feels like they would do much better if the other side didn't exist. And, and professor Peterson broke that down and was like that you're wrong from a longitudinal standpoint, from a psychological standpoint, from a systems theory standpoint, you're wrong. You guys actually exist together. And no matter what you do, you're not going to get rid of the other side. Um, it's almost like a marriage. <clears throat> and when I say this, people get all offended. Like this, this is a profession. It's not a marriage. Hey, look, it's like we we're both locked into the same relationship and we got to do it for the children. We got to stay together. <laughs> so um, what he said was, if you think of it like a marriage, what, what marriage used to be was when you, when you, when you were traditionally married, you, you, you said your oath of marriage to a higher idea. You know, symbolically, there could be like an altar and a candle, or you did it in a church or whatever. There was always a higher ideal that you would both work towards. <clears throat> and either spouse might be doing different jobs or believe in different things while they're doing it. Like one spouse could be the worker and one spouse could be the person who raises the children. One spouse is a homebody and one spouse is social, <clears throat> whatnot, whatever. So the same thing for this profession. We will always be separate unless we can agree on a higher ideal that we can both work together towards. So we have to be part of something bigger than all of us combined. Right. And for me, I feel like one thing that we can go towards is patient trust or uh, re making reparations with what the public has thought of us or what we have made the public think of us by, uh, if it's as simple as public relations, if you right. want to call it that. <clears throat> but it's something we can agree on as a direction. And if you stay focused on that direction, a lot of these other things will fall by the wayside. Now, the last thing uh, Professor Peterson said was, then you also have to break bread with each other, which we do not do. Parker Seminars is a way to accomplish this because there are going to be people from different uh, sides of the table here, and they will be in one room, and there will be a lot of them in one room, and there's got to be a way to foster that breaking of the bread amongst the two and have these conversations, but they have to be based on a higher idea that both people can agree on. And um, I, I think putting you in the position you're at in that day of speaking is a great position because you're going to get people who will be from that other side of the table and they're going to listen to your message and you can deliver something powerful to them. <clears throat> to us, we're all going to sit there and, and love your talk, but you're just preaching the, to the choir, brother. You don't want, you don't want a bunch of yes men in your audience. You want to shake some people up, I would hope. Yeah. I want the, the questions of this doesn't seem possible. This doesn't make sense. It doesn't fit because I want to be able to prove, prove my model through answering those questions. You know, they have me. Or I don't have a model. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> you, uh, they have me speaking in Berlin at the World Federation of Chiropractic uh, ECU 
symposium Mm -hmm. about, I think the talk is called through the looking glass, uh, creating sustainability, professional sustainability in the future, something like that. Mm -hmm. First, you're sort of like, why me? (laughs) And second, it's like, how, what? I am not Nostradamus, man. There are so many different yeah, you're things. You're an aggregator of information and opinion. And I am. I do aggregate information. You see some, which way the, the, the rudder is turning. <clears throat> I think it'll be some sort of discussion just like that. I am not an, a unity person. I don't think that the way that we define unity in this profession right now, which is sort of like a, just let so-and-so do whatever they do. You do what you do. We're just not going to say anything and let everybody be everybody bygones be bygones no criticisms no challenges it's all going to be good let's just be unified i don't think that's the proper definition of unity that we need um i don't i don't think that that kind of unity is possible i think a new unity would be possible under a new a new banner a new light to go towards a new beacon on the hill if you will nice but um, Let's, let's build it homeboy there's only one way to do it. We got to build it and we build it by doing this thing. We get somebody like Josh Satterley who's got ideas based on experience and then he puts those ideas into action and they're successful. So he says, Hey, I think I got something. Then there's crazy guys like me that are like, I like what you got. Let's put you on a stage and see what you say. And then you say it and someone else sees it and says, say it more, say it. And then you get a Texas sem- cowboy like Bill Morgan to <clears throat> take a risk on me. And then, uh, and then we just do it. They're, the only way to get any of this stuff done is to try to do something. And uh, this profession, for as great as it is and as great as it's, it can be, there are a lot of people that are just sitting and watching, and they got a whole bunch of opinions on how things should be done. I love it. Doing jack squat. They're not part of. Yeah. If anyone it's, creates any arguments in in this fa- in the forward thinking chiropractic Facebook group anymore, what's the first thing I do? I look their name up under the ACA list of doctors. Mm-hmm. If they're not there, I'm not listening to them. Mm-hmm. I might then go and see if they're an ICA doctor and be like, well, at least they're doing something. But if they're not yeah. doing something, anything, and, and states, you know, if you're doing state local stuff, that's awesome too, because you're doing something that matters. But if you're not participating on some level, if it's time or money or whatever, I'm not listening to you at all. Your opinions don't mean a damn thing. So you have to be involved in, you have to be involved in the ACA. Um, ICA, hey, cool, whatever, man. But um, you got to get busy. Like, yeah. You know, you just, you no. got to get busy and, and make that change and do it. Let like, me not play hard. nice. Don't, don't, no ICA. Let me, I'm not, I'm just not going to be nice here. No ICA, yeah. you know, nice people. I'm sure. I'm sure if we all met in public, which we will in Parker, lovely people. And I'd love to hang out with you guys and have a beer, but this like two organization crap, it's got to stop. And, and I don't know if there's a way to stop it. That's idealistic in its most extent, but it's, it's absurd. It's just absurd with one side sabotaging the other, mostly the ICA sabotaging the ACA, but hey, <clears throat> I'm done playing nice on this podcast and, and yeah, I got some sponsors, so I had to be cool and all that, but at some point I got to say my voice and my voice is, uh, we, we got we to gotta pull our heads out of our buttholes. Yeah. And the ACA supports you or sponsors this, not because they... Uh, I don't know how their personal opinion is of you as a, a person, but I think they're seeing the bigger picture here of, you know, it seems to me that they are interested in driving the profession forward. 
and yeah. other yeah. groups aren't um, interested in driving um, uh, flavors of the profession forward and and detracting from the others who don't you know that don't like jamocha almond fudge <laughs> i'm gonna make sure you yeah. don't eat chocolate because you, you're not eating jamocha almond fudge it's like they're putting the the yeah. sacred trust before the patient's trust yeah so cool well hey i got a roll because i got my next uh, call here in a second but look at you yeah doing the rounds doing the media rounds hey man i just want to be part of something big i'm, I'm really excited about the future no i know i said that on your podcast what a year ago yeah, but I, I, you know, I really am excited about. I would agree with you. Parker has changed a lot. I'm, I'm excited looking at that lineup. I'm blown away. Um, the involvement in, I was impressed with Forward and the fact that Forward is growing and moving to a larger venue, and, um, and, and that there's more participation. It's exciting. Uh, there's some other projects that are always brewing that I'm very excited about, and hopefully, we can get on a call or a podcast again when, when those, you know, kind of. Uh, they're right now the Hawaiian islands, you know, they just look like yeah. the ocean, but soon a mountain will pop up. Yeah. 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 And when I, they I do, know how that goes. let's talk mm-hmm. about it. Cause you don't there's, see the Everest on the, on the base there. So yeah. Youngsters, whenever you hear people saying it's, it, there's great things in the future, there are, you just, you know, you can't talk about them right now. Yep. You end up getting people who, uh, they either sabotage the idea or they try to steal it. And, and it's not about money all the time. Sometimes it's about, it's a good idea that's good for people and we got to make sure it happens. Yeah. So you got to be very protective and make sure it launches appropriately. Um, as a close before your next call, uh, it has been a couple months since we talked, what is one distinct thing that you can say you have learned or realized about the world or the profession or yourself in these last couple months since we talked? Um, about myself, I would say I will go back to communication in my life has my ability to clearly and directly, even if it's uncomfortable, communicate has a direct line to success. Absolutely. As it increases, so does the success of whatever I'm involved in. So that's one personally. As a profession, uh, you know, my my business called Clinic Gym Hybrid. Uh Clinic Gym Radio is the podcast. Um, I thought that I was on the cutting edge of that. and um, But that model is being adapted by hospitals and universities and a bunch of others. So once the big elephants get involved, I don't think you can say that it's cutting edge anymore. So it's just what is. It's a version of what we can do. Um, so that's second. And then uh, what about the world? Um, I think we can get a lot of clarity by looking at what would I do in my own house? And is that what I would advocate for my neighbor, my community, my city, country, you know, my organization on the earth, whatever. And, uh, I, I've learned that that becomes a great filter for things. Make your own bed. So communication, which we will be covering at forward 2019 in some very interesting ways. Two, you were a, basically a low-level weed dealer and the big guys came in and someone legalized weed and now the pharmaceutical companies are coming in and dealing the weed. Yep. So you're like, how can I push my product to my high schoolers? I think it's a little bit better than that, but yeah. <laughs> and three, uh, make your own bed first before you go and try to criticize how the rest of the world needs to be fixed. Yeah. Clean your own room. Uh, there's a fourth, which is, Um, I think that our profession is underestimating the impact that advancing technologies can have on it and that adapting those, the first adapters to those will flourish. Uh, 
dude. If if somebody digs through this podcast, even though I do quite a bit of rambling and all that stuff, there are some absolute nuggets uh, to chew on. And I, and I hope you do. I hope everybody enjoyed the show. And Josh, I enjoy you every single time I talk to you. Can't wait to see you, buddy. Yes. See you in a couple weeks. All right. All right. Bye.